This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, August 6th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The fragile progress we've made with our COVID map. Plus, an inside look at Joe Biden's VP decision. But first, today's one big thing is how modern technology has made the nuclear arms race more dangerous than ever. That's the sound from earlier this week, the blast in Beirut that caused the deaths of at least 135 people. It came about 48 hours before the 75th anniversary of the U.S. dropping a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. While the explosion in Beirut was not nuclear, the blast happening so close to this anniversary has put the devastating impact of such explosions at the top of many people's minds. What I thought about when I saw the Beirut blast is this is probably the largest explosion that's been caught on video that most of us have ever seen, certainly that I've ever seen live at least. And yet that's just the fraction of the size of the Hiroshima nuclear bomb. We're talking about less than 2% the size of what was dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. Brian Walsh is Axios's future correspondent, but he's been looking back at our past, including what happened when the U.S. dropped the first of two atomic bombs on Japan. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. So if an explosion that's that much smaller can do the kind of damage we saw in Beirut, just imagine what a nuclear blast today would do. It boggles the mind. And I think the idea of a nuclear bomb, Brian, is really not something most people worry about because we've been in a period of relative stability when it comes to the nuclear arms race. We have, yes. I think for a lot of people, the clock essentially stopped in 1991 when the Soviet Union dissolved. The reality is those weapons, while there are far fewer of them than there were during the worst days of the Cold War, still exist. So it makes sense that people think it's not something that really we have to worry about any longer, but that's not the case at all. Why not? Well, there are experts who believe that the risk of a nuclear attack is actually as great now as it was during the Cold War. And that really interested me is the role that emerging technologies are playing in disrupting that stability that we've actually counted on since Hiroshima to really keep the nuclear peace. How are you seeing how technology can disrupt this nuclear balance that we have had? One is through cyber hacking. If some kind of cyber hacking effort were to actually disrupt nuclear command and control systems, that would be extraordinarily dangerous. But what really worries experts is the fact that cyber warfare is so unregulated. If an enemy were to attack the U.S. with a nuclear bomb, it's clear that the U.S. would respond in kind. But how should the U.S. respond to, say, a hacking effort that would be targeted at the power infrastructure? And then if you look forward to artificial intelligence, that's where things get really concerning. I wonder what you think the most important thing for context is that people need to understand when they're thinking about this anniversary of what we as a country did 75 years ago. 
I think whenever you're thinking about the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you, you have to keep the victims of those attacks foremost in mind. We don't even know exactly how many people died in those attacks. I mean, the low estimates for Hiroshima are 70,000. The high estimates are 110,000. That's just that one single attack. And so what I'd really hope people understand and, and keep in mind is that this threat has not gone away. This has gone away from public attention, political attention. It really shouldn't. This is still a real risk. It really still needs to be addressed. And we still need to work as much as possible to one day hopefully eliminate that risk. Brian Walsh is the future correspondent for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with today's insider perspective on Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. Axios Insider is a sneak peek into the conversations in our newsroom. And co-founder Mike Allen is here with me. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Nyla. Lots of people are talking about Joe Biden, who he will pick as his vice presidential candidate to run with him. Why is this such a difficult story to cover? Well, lots of people are talking, Nyla. None of them know. Very, very often, the people who know the most talk the least. That's never more true than with the vice presidential pick. And Nyla, here's the twist with this. This is such a personal decision that the truth is, The only people who really know are the nominee and their spouse. This is in Joe Biden's head and heart. And so all we can do is triangulate to people who talk to him. Well, that was a hell of a caveat, Mike. Yeah, that gives me license to be totally wrong (laughs) about everything else I tell you. Yeah, where does it stand? So a Democrat who's been involved in picking past vice presidents told me that a vice presidential picker takes the Hippocratic Oath, that is, do no harm. So that explains who Axios hears are the two most likely picks. At the top of the list, Senator Kamala Harris of California, who was the state attorney general, and then a second veteran of national public life, Susan Rice, who was the first black woman to be the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., and then was in the White House as President Obama's national security advisor. Mike, can you maybe get inside his head a little and tell us what you think he might be thinking? One thing that several people mentioned is that Team Biden is very focused on the enormity of the task in front of them. So at this point, they're certainly very optimistic about winning. And when they win, what will you get? A pandemic, a deep recession, an America role in the world that Biden would want to dramatically change. So the ultimate question for the nominee, I'm told by those who have been there, is who do I want to sit down the hall from me? So it's very personal and only Joe Biden can answer it. Mike Allen bringing us the scoop from inside Washington as always. Thanks so much. Now I have the best day. Axios has been tracking coronavirus cases across the world and the U.S. Sam Baker is our healthcare editor. 
Hey, Sam, how's the map looking this week? Well, if you just glance at the map, it is looking better. But you've got to keep that in context of the incredible increases in new cases that we've seen over the course of the summer. The U.S. is down to averaging just slightly below about 60,000 new cases a day, which is good because we had been up around 65, but obviously 59,000 cases a day is still a lot. Sam, so much of the cases that we are seeing are places where you and I have talked about there's a lot of concern. Florida, California, Texas. What are those states looking like now? Those states are improving. California, Arizona, and Florida all saw double-digit improvement. Texas had a slight increase that, that we basically consider holding steady. So that's good news. And obviously, you have to start somewhere. Hopefully, they are starting to turn things around. But progress against this virus is always very fragile whenever it happens. Sam Baker is the healthcare editor for Axios with the latest on our coronavirus map. Before we go, we've covered some pretty tough topics today. So maybe what you need is a little therapy with Caesar the No Drama Llama. He's five foot eight and 350 pounds. And Caesar was on the scene at protests in Portland, offering emotional support hugs and a calm presence to protesters and police. Caesar has no voice of his own, so he's here to represent the voiceless. His owner, Larry, calls him not just a therapy llama, but also a llama activist. You can follow his adventures on Instagram at Caesar the No Drama Llama. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning.